This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide, and we'll be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it is important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and let people talk about it. In all of our discussions, we'll be conscious to use the appropriate language. Your self-care is important. Listening to this podcast may raise issues for you, and if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. You can call QLife on 1800 184 527, Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the JOY website at joy.org.au slash let's talk. This JOY podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wandering people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening. If you are listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land, always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk, and I'm your host for this podcast. Also guiding you through each of our episodes are two wonderful experts. We've got Joe Ball, who is the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. They are also an LGBTIQA plus community leader and use the pronouns they, them. And Dr. Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of Support After Suicide. You'll also hear from four brave people who have talked to us about their experience with a loved one who died by suicide. Bo, Lara, Peter and Alice. There are many occasions that we celebrate in our lives, things like birthdays, wedding anniversaries, Christmas and other religious holidays. But when you've lost someone to suicide, these events can be really hard. And what was once a celebration or happy occasion can be very sad and painful. I asked Louise what it is about these occasions that make it so difficult. Part of it is memories from the past, that remembrance of it being a happy, joyous celebration of life and sometimes um, people's lives together. And when those, when someone has actually died, those anniversaries are just can be quite searing reminder of a person's absence. So their loss uh, can be just so much more deeply felt. I think I think that's quite a lot to do with why some of these occasions can be so difficult. 
Here's Joe. I think if the person is suicided around a particular big day which is, or a time of year that's considered a high time of suicide, for example, if they've suicided at Christmas, then um, that can be a particularly well, – it, it can compound the feelings that the person feels because during that time there's already a lot of talk about that it's a lonely time for many people and – that it's hard for many people as much as like that's one story and then the other story is that it should be an amazing and happy time so I think if the suicide has taken place around that time it's just like the person can just you as someone who is left behind you can feel absolutely pulled in both directions by those competing narratives that don't really help you feel any better. Because um, suicide means that the person has ended their own life I think many times those who are grieving actually, in a sense, at a at some sort of um, celebration or what what would normally be a celebration, there's a sense of like um, this person is missing out. The person who's died is actually missing out on this occasion and on these um, happy experiences. So I think that adds to the level of grief too. I think the fact that the person who's died. Uh, is not here and um, so that's a loss for those there but it's also kind of grief on behalf of the person who's gone they're missing out on this experience and uh, that's a source of sadness too I think. I know that some of those stuff came out around the marriage equality that people felt like they had lost their partner and now a partner that they never had a chance to marry uh, and now, so there's that day that it's supposed to be really joyous that we're all getting together and go, wow, we have marriage rights, but the person doesn't have an opportunity to, you know, because they have lost someone to suicide, they don't have the opportunity now or in the future to marry them. It can be difficult to know how to handle things like birthdays. Should you not commemorate it in some way? Should it be a low-key event? Or should you organise a party? There are no hard and fast rules, and it depends on the situation and the people around you. Not long after Dez's death, Peter decided to throw a birthday party for him. A year after he passed away, Dez would have had his 50th birthday. So, I had a party. <laughs> I had a party for him on his birthday. Um, and I invited all the people that he would have invited, you know? Um, I invited friends of his from high school. Um, and again, people came from everywhere <laughs> to come <laughs> to the party. Um, and I didn't want it to be awake or, or anything like that, but I wanted it to be a celebration of him turning 50. Um, and it was. Um, the only thing we didn't do was sing happy birthday. You know, that just... That, that to me was a different level of wrong that I just couldn't do, you know. But I could, I could still have a party and people turned up. We had a cake, but we just didn't sing happy birthday. Um, and everyone loved it. And, every, and, I'm, and, I'm, and everyone was glad that I did something and that, um, that they could still remember him and honour him. Peter mentioned there that he didn't want to sing happy birthday at the party which is completely reasonable. But it sounds like he was very much including the memory of Des in that occasion. And it's also an example of a community coming together to remember. But there can be a delicate line to walk, balancing the pain while also remembering the person. 
These events are so bittersweet. I think when you hear that story about Des's 50th birthday, of course what goes to your mind is, well, he didn't turn 50, and that feels so heartbreaking. But I think that, you know, there is a, a real healing that can take place where of just bringing people together for whatever um, anniversary that you think is significant to the person who has died. I think that's an extremely courageous thing to do, I would say. I think he did a really courageous thing calling that party and it certainly filled a need for him and I would say for countless others, obviously countless others who went there. And so I think it is a good example for people who are listening that maybe this is something you can do and it can play a healing role. Not that it's going to be a happy occasion, but that, as Peter said, that it can be a time um, to laugh and celebrate that person's life and I think that's really important to create those opportunities as much as it is to mourn. I think Peter did there's a great example of really um, doing what he needed to do in a sense for himself, for those who love Des and in a sense for Des. There's a sense of really um, creating something unique and being as um, Joe said, being courageous, being daring and saying, let's do this, um, making a very unique celebration in a sense. So I think it's a great example of really grieving in the way that feels right to you. I guess it's also worth pointing out that some people don't feel this is appropriate for them to do and it's not something they want to do. Like it can work the other way as well, can't it? Undoubtedly, there was people that felt shocked by that kind of party undoubtedly there would have been some people but I think we've all got to give space and kindness to each other and understand the complexity and understand why Peter would want to do that Um, and obviously he knows what Des would have wanted you know he needed this and he felt like it was a real important part of uh, a really important thing for Des what I would say to people is let's all try and at these times try and be so deeply kind to each other and try and put aside judgment and just let people do what they need to do, whether that's have that party or not go to that party or not do anything like that or do something similar, whatever. Yeah, it can be really difficult when people have different needs or different wants at a particular time. Um, for Peter, that was a really great thing to do. For people who are, who are mourning sometimes, that, that would feel too difficult or... They wouldn't feel able to do it at that point, maybe at another time. And as Joe said, like having that deep kindness and deep sense of um, people do grieve in different ways and need to do things differently. Des died about three years ago, so Peter has been through many of these times. Here's Peter again talking about remembering Des on his birthday and other occasions. I... I always remember his birthday, of course. I remember I remember the day he died. Um, you know, I... And so I honour, you know, anniversaries and all that sort of stuff. But after a while, you know, most people aren't interested in that sort of stuff anymore, you know? Um, and to be honest, you don't have to look that hard and you can find an anniversary of something... Every, every week, you know what I mean? And so um, I remember those things. Um, sometimes I might share them with, with someone or I might, 
you know, I'm trying not to be this person that just keeps putting things on Facebook about, you know, someone who's no longer here and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes I do. Um, but I've tried very hard, very, very, very hard to make sure that people don't forget him. You heard Peter say there that he doesn't want to be one of those people that keeps posting to social media, but he still wants to keep Des's memory alive. So how do you deal with that situation where you might be feeling very strongly about remembering and celebrating someone, but other people in your community, maybe they weren't as close to the person, don't feel the same way? I've seen people get angry in that situation, absolutely, that they have felt angry and annoyed at other people around them for not even realising perhaps that an anniversary is coming up. And I think that goes back to that you can have a range of emotions in grief and I think we have to try and where we can just have that empathy for each other about what we're going through and try and that the anger is can be a legitimate emotion but we should try not to be too angry at others who are grieving Um, but it's legitimate that you could feel frustrated towards other people. It can be hurtful I think when um, there's a sense that someone who's so valuable and important to your life and that their death has had such a huge impact when other people aren't aware of that or lose the awareness of it it can just feel very painful I think And I guess um, it can be difficult dealing with the reality that the impact on you is not the same as the impact on some others. And so that's where sometimes I think if it's possible to remain connected with people who um, the loss of this person has deeply affected their life as well. And it is okay to remind others of someone's death and the value of their life and the impact on on you. And some people are also uncomfortable with death and uncomfortable with marking the loss of someone or sometimes feel the the pain of the loss in such a way that they don't want to share it. Yeah, and I think people go through crises of, like, legitimacy about whether they were close enough to the person to go to, say, a memorial or, say, to an anniversary. I think people go through that, like, who who am I that I would be expected to be at that thing? And I think that's, as much as we can be grant permission for people to come, I think that's just one component that goes on, that people are like, oh, well, I didn't really know them, so... can feel uncertain about whether they've really got a place at some memorial or some event. That's why it can be really good to, with those events where possible, to signpost that what's going to happen at them, mm. what people can expect, what it will feel and look like, so that people can can make those those judgments and and and, and making statements like "all welcome" or perhaps "close friends only" if that's the case. Mm. When occasions like birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, or other religious events come around. There are many ways in which you can remember the person who died, and it can be very healing to include them in some way. Sometimes it, it can be just very simple things like having a candle lit, having someone's photo uh, very present. They might be included in, if, there's, uh, if it's an occasion where there's going to be speeches, they can be included in the speeches, remembered in that way. There's a range of different ways and people are very good really at finding their own way and it's it's good to feel permission, like it is okay to want to include someone in some way 
and then it's finding whatever way is going to work for you who's organising it and you who want to remember, you know, bringing that person, in a sense, into that occasion. One of the experiences, one of the things we did at, um, at Switchboard as part of the volunteer thank you event that's held in Volunteer Week in May is that, you know, as we put a slide up of everybody in the LGBTIQA plus community of the organisations that were there, which at the time were Thorn Harbour, T- Transgender Victoria and the um, Gay and Lesbian Archives and Joy, is that we put the names up of the people who had died in the last year who were volunteers. And that was a screen that wasn't there all night because I think, you know, that that's important, that it doesn't sort of dwarf the event for people who were there. But there was a screen that went up for quite, you know, a, a considerable period of time of people who had died and that did include names of some people who had suicided. But those names were just alongside people who had died from other issues. And I think that's really important to say the death is is the same and significant. And, and that's part of not stigmatising suicide. People often talk about the one-year anniversary of the death as being a key milestone in the grieving process. We are dedicating the entire next episode to the one-year anniversary, as it is a significant time. But there are other anniversaries that can be hard. We don't talk about the six-month anniversary as much, for example. And Lara and Alice both found it to be a very difficult time. I think around the six-month anniversary was quite tricky. I was up in Sydney, um, which was quite hard, I think, being away from Melbourne and being away from her friends and family. I actually had a lot of difficulty with the six-month anniversary. I guess that's not really even an anniversary, but yeah, the six-month mark after her death, um, that was almost like the one-year anniversary for me. Like, I haven't reached that yet, so I shouldn't say that so in such a blasé way, but it felt really big to me, and I really built it up. And for, like, weeks beforehand, I knew it was going to be six months. More and more, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um... And really, like, went back into that space of, like, thinking about her all the time and her, her death and what had happened and what I could do to kind of honour her. Um, so that was very difficult. And it was also kind of difficult because not necessarily everyone else who cared about her was on the same page. Like, six months isn't necessarily... Um, like, for some reason, it, it was big for me, but not necessarily everyone was in that space, so we hadn't kind of organised anything. The six-month anniversary was a difficult time for me in both the ways that Alice and Lara described there. I had thought by the six-month anniversary that my life would be back to normal, or at least a new normal, and this was absolutely not the case. I wanted to know from Louise if this was a common thing. People initially find the pain and loss so difficult that there's a sort of a hope um, that it's going to be, they're going to feel better by a certain time. But also, I think in general in society, we have these quite unrealistic expectations, actually, of how long grief takes. So, yeah, I think it's really common for people to think, you know, at this point in time, I'm going to feel better, or the grief is going to be over, I'll be back to normal. And um, it's really uh, nearly always the case that people, certainly by six months or even a year, are not feeling completely uh, back to normal. It's just not possible, actually, with the sort of magnitude of the loss. 
And other things have happened to other people during that six months. Just the natural occurrences of life. So people close to you and maybe even other people close to the person who suicided, other things have happened. Maybe somebody else has died. That can mean that people's around, like attention has changed. Like people are in different places. Even the core group of people directly affected in, in the direct aftermath, their lives have changed in ways that they had no control over. And so the, the group dynamic has changed. And I think that can mean that people feel really like an, a, a new sense of aloneness. That feeling you can have at six months is like, I'm still very much here. I'm still very much in this. But other people have moved on to other issues because other things have happened to them. And I think that that is just a real loneliness to watch out for. And I think that's a time to be really self-vigilant with yourself. Almost six months should be a time that you really put aside to look after yourself. Special occasions can be especially difficult when you're grieving. How you remember your loved one who has died at these times may be different depending on where you're at with your grief. But thinking about how you might include your loved one in these occasions and having realistic expectations for you and others around you might help a little. In the next episode of Let's Talk About Suicide, we'll be talking about the one-year anniversary, which is often very significant for those who are grieving. So please join me for that. But before you go, it's that part of the episode where I share with you some things that the people we interviewed with lived experience did to help them with their grief some things they did for their self-care. There are some practical and helpful things that you might consider doing right now, or maybe just store in the back of your mind for later to help you through your bereavement. This one's from Bo. Something that uh, I'm looking at doing is uh, going back to study with Jeff while he was still here and and I was telling him things that I wanted to do. Um, But yeah, as, as soon as he died, that was just, there was nothing there. I just did not care. I really was just at uh, stuck in a rut, really, as as far as um, wanting to further myself or, or do something different. Or I was just happy, just you know, getting up, working, coming home. That's it. Just to make some plans to do some further study. I've always really loved uh, studying and, and learning. So maybe potentially going to uni and and studying a, a course in uh, nursing or something, yeah, something I'm looking forward to. I think by making those plans or or starting to think about or planning to study again, it, I guess it showed me that, you know, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still um, willing to, you know, make the most of my life, I guess, really, in a nutshell. It's just... By thinking that way again, or things that I want to do, want to be around for a, a long time and uh, making plans for my future. So I guess it's good to, it's good that I, I'm thinking like that there, whereas before I just didn't care, <laughs> really didn't care about myself by having yeah, some goals and some dreams again. Um, it's a good feeling. You can download the other episodes in the series from joy.org.au slash let's talk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full length interviews with the people who have shared their own stories. 
Thanks to our amazing expert panel, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Bo, Lara and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk. Editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones. And technical help from Jack Traynor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at letstalk@joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash let's talk. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.